As we were getting ready uh, for the baptisms that you just saw today and the ones that will happen next week, uh, I, I was asking God, since we haven't had baptisms in a while here, to direct me to a scripture passage that uh, involved baptism. And the, the one that kept coming to mind was, act, was a, a passage that was not actually about the meaning of baptism, uh, but it was, about, it was the account of someone being baptized. And so uh, I'm going to read that with you, uh, read that to you now, and ask you to turn there with me. It's Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and it's really the second half of the chapter, so it starts in verse 26. The book of Acts, the, the story of the growth of the early church as it spread out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, and uh, this is kind of in the transitionary phase here between chapters 8 and 9, and there's one very particular experience that a gentleman named Philip has, a follower of Jesus. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? And thus someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, for those of you who got baptized today, and for that matter, for those of you who have ever been baptized in the past, let me ask you, why did you do it? Why did you get baptized? Why did you do that really weird thing where you go to church and somebody shoves you under the water? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Well, if you were baptized here at First Alliance or if you were baptized at a church like ours that practices what we call believer's baptism, you were baptized because you chose to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. And you chose to do that in a couple of different ways. For one thing, when you got baptized, you were saying, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus, and I always will be. I am declaring my faith in Christ. You might know that around the world in places where it's a lot more dangerous to be a Christian, it's not usually when someone confesses Jesus as their Savior that they start getting the, the persecution and the trouble, but it's when they get baptized because they're publicly identifying. They are saying, as you said, I am following Jesus no matter what. I am putting my eggs in the Jesus basket. I, I'm, I'm all in. That's what you say when you get baptized. 
You're also saying, as you, and this is identified and, and explained really very well in Romans 6, 3 to 6, that you're identifying with Jesus not only publicly before people, but you're identifying with Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. That your baptism is a symbol of your old life dying and being buried and your new life beginning, which is why when we baptize people, we say something on the order of buried in the likeness of Christ and then raised to walk a new life. In being baptized, you are saying that you have responded to God's invitation to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins based on Christ's death on the cross in your place and for the gift of everlasting life that comes. Now this morning, I want to linger just for a few minutes on a word that I just said, invitation. Invitation. What does it mean to respond to an invitation? It seems like, it seems like there are two kinds of invitations that you could, that you could have. Um, there's, there's a general invitation, and then there's a specific invitation. There's what you'd call a public invitation, which is the general invitation, and then there's what you might call a private or a personal invitation. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Right? If you're, if you're a single guy and you are interested in, in having a girlfriend, you might decide to issue a general invitation. Okay? So what you would do in this case is you would, you would get on social media or you would maybe just stand up in front of a bunch of people and you would make an announcement. You would say, hello, eligible females. Here I am. I'm single. I'm available. I'm open to a relationship. Right? Here's my phone number. I await your call. Now, that would be considered a public invitation, a general invitation, and it might succeed in attracting a certain kind of female. But alternatively, and perhaps in a more traditional scheme, you would actually single out an eligible woman and pursue her. Right? You would spend some time with her. You would try to show her some attention. You would try to maybe form kind of a friendship with her. And then at some point along the line, your pulse would go up and your heart would race and your palms would get sweaty and you would make her a specific personal invitation. Right? Would you be interested in going with me to this meal or this movie or this event or whatever it might be? Now, those are obviously two different kinds of invitations, right? Let me give you a more church-related example. Not asking somebody out of church, but a church-related example. The leadership here at, at First Alliance has been discussing for, for a while now how to get people more involved in our church in more meaningful ways. And one strategy that we have used is to let people know about opportunities to serve, you know, in a very general way. For instance, something like anybody who wants to join a small group, anybody who wants to join uh, this ministry team, anyone who wants to volunteer for this opportunity, what you need to do is respond to this email, or call this number, or talk to this person, or lately it's click on this link, or sign up on this piece of paper in the Welcome Center, whatever it might be, but we're just kind of opening it up. And we have found that this approach, at least in this church, does not work very well. Um, It has very limited success. But there's another way to invite someone to get involved in something. You talk with them specifically, and you show interest in them, and you, you personally invite them to get involved, you say, hey, would you come to my small group? You know, I was thinking that that we need someone for this ministry, and I think you might do a really good job. Are you interested? Would you be willing to give it a shot? Guess which kind of invitation works better? That one works a lot better. Here's my question, kind of getting back to our topic. When you answered God's invitation to trust in Jesus, did you answer a general public kind of invitation 
Or did you answer a specific personal invitation? What do you think? I want you to keep that question in mind for a minute while I talk for just a couple minutes about this story that we just read in Acts. Now, Acts, of course, is filled with all sorts of public sermons and presentations of the gospel and invitations to whole crowds of people at the same time to trust in Jesus. But there are also stories like this one, and I want you to see, what I want you to see this morning is just how personal and how deliberate God is at seeking out this man and how far he goes and how far poor Philip has to go on behalf of God in order to track him down. So you've got this guy, Philip. Philip is a leader in the early church. He's already made a couple of appearances in the book of Acts. He's actually, he's got a huge heart for telling other people about Jesus, and he was the first person to bring the gospel to Samaria, which is an area just north of of Judah, just north of Jerusalem. And at the start of this story, in view of the angel's direction to go south rather than west, given the geography of the Holy Land, it is quite probable that when Philip gets this invitation, he is still somewhere in Samaria. And if that's the case, that means that God is telling Philip to walk for at least two days to get to his destination. It's about like if if God called you to walk from here to the other side of Charlotte. Only in this case, you're not going to a big city. You're going to a desert road, which is pretty much out in the middle of nowhere. Because the city of Gaza, the, the, the city to which this road led, had been destroyed by Alexander the Great. And if you went in that direction, you'd see mostly ruins along the side of the road. That's all that was there. The only reason people would go that direction on that road was they were going to join up with the big north-south corridor, the big north-south road that went up into Syria and down into Egypt and beyond. So Philip is being called from really a very fruitful place of ministry with a lot of people there to walk for two days to an isolated place where nobody lives to a lonely highway exit exit that doesn't even have a sheets or a Dairy Queen or anything. It's just nothing out there. And then Philip gets to this remote spot, and suddenly he sees a chariot. One chariot making its way out of Israel to join the north-south road and head back to Africa. But God wants to intercept this chariot before the chariot is out of range of the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit says to Philip, this is literally what it says, go near and join up with that chariot. Okay? The chariot is still moving. It's moving. And so after walking, who knows for how long, right? Philip is now told by God to go and run next to the moving chariot. And so he grabs up his haunches and da, na, 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 na. he actually catches up with the chariot and he starts talking to this eunuch. And so the conversation, for the first few verses of the conversation, it actually takes place with Philip running next to this vehicle. Again, You might picture Philip running next to the vehicle, but I want you to picture God running next to the vehicle because God is interested in reaching this man and going to great lengths to track him down in order to get his attention and to stop him from heading off into the rest of his life without knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior. What brought you here this morning? You know, is it possible that you are here and God is going to grab your attention today, and he doesn't want you to go off for the rest of your life and not know Jesus as your Savior, and this is a moment that God is using to speak to you and to get your attention, it might be no coincidence that you were here today, whether you're here for the first time or the thousandth time, that God is going to speak to you this morning. In the case of this man, he had just so happened, and we're going to see a whole bunch of things that look like coincidences but are not, He just so happened to have a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. 
And he just happened to be getting to the part that we know today as chapter 53, where the Messiah of Israel suffers and dies for the sins of his people, a prophecy that was written down about 700 years before Jesus. And Philip just happens to be familiar enough with this particular passage to know that it's all about Jesus, and he leads this man to Christ using that passage. And then the man says, wow, is there anything that's keeping me from being baptized now? And there wasn't. And so the man commanded the chariot to stop, and Philip probably says, thank goodness, because we're getting farther and farther from my house. He doesn't know that God's going to, you know, transport or beam him back somewhere else at the end of this encounter. And there just happens to be water nearby on this mostly desert road, and so Philip baptizes the man right then and there. Now, you might even ask this, what is this Ethiopian guy doing in a place like Jerusalem anyway, and with a copy of Isaiah of all things? Well, the term Ethiopia at this time typically referred to, not to present-day Ethiopia like we know it today, but, but probably to the Nubian kingdom, which at the time was just south of Egypt and is today part of northern Sudan. And there was a very large Jewish settlement right near that area in a place called Elephantine, right on the Egyptian-Nubian border at the crossroads of these two kingdoms. And so it looks like God had been at work preparing for this moment, for this man, for many, many years. And this this high-ranking Nubian official, this treasurer of the whole kingdom, had somehow in his life come into contact with the faith of the Jews and with the Jewish God. Now sadly, being a eunuch, The man's body had been altered in a way that, according to Old Testament law, disqualified him from ever becoming a Jew. He was not allowed to convert to Judaism, which is maybe why he's so worried about being able to be baptized. Can I really be baptized? But you know what? Even though he didn't qualify, even though he could never be a good religious person in that sense, he still felt drawn to the one true God. And what good news must it have been for him when Philip told him that even though he could never become a Jew, that he could never, he could never jump through all the religious hoops, it didn't matter. That didn't keep him from becoming a Christian. God was still pursuing him and inviting him to come to Jesus Christ. And the way was wide open. And the invitation was for him. And one of the things that might occur to you, and it occurred to me, about this Nubian official, he's a pretty influential person, right? He works for the queen. And so you think, well, maybe, maybe what God is doing here is he's trying to reach this one guy so that he can bring the gospel back to his country and share it with a lot of other people, maybe even the queen herself. Wouldn't that be awesome? So I thought that, and I looked it up and checked, and there's no record of anything like this ever happening. If you look at the history of Christianity in that area of the world, it really doesn't show up until at the earliest, the later part of the fourth century, which is 300 years after this encounter in Acts chapter 8. So we don't know, we're not told what this guy experienced when he got back home, whether he shared with anybody, whether he talked to the queen, we don't know what happened. But you know what? It is very possible that God did all this and had Philip do all this just to reach this one person so that he did not have to leave town without Jesus. You know, I really only want you to walk away with with three simple ideas this morning. Both those of you who were just baptized and and those of you who have at some point trusted in Christ. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, let me say this. Today is a great day to do it. I hope you've seen the testimony of those who have trusted their lives to Jesus. Seen the worship of those around you who are sold out to Jesus Christ. 
But if you're in Christ, I want you to know this morning, first this, that God loved you specifically and individually and personally. God loved you personally. Yes, he loved the world. We, we all memorize John 3.16. God so loved the world. But he didn't just love the world. He specifically loved you. And he came after you. He pursued you. He hunted you down. He made some very detailed arrangements in your life in order for you to hear the good news about Jesus. And then he gave you a very personal invitation. And this is true even if you responded to a public call. Even if you were at a huge evangelistic rally and you came to know Jesus along with 500 other people that same day, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't working beneath things and talking to you individually as you heard the gospel. He was. He was. It was a personal invitation. Think about the people who were involved in you coming to know Jesus Christ. People who planted seeds. People who prayed for you. People who who gave you rides to places where you heard the gospel. Think of the events, the moments that God used, the chance conversations, the sermons or lessons that you heard that at the time sounded like they were just for you. Think about the arrangements that God made in the generations before you and in the history of your family and and where they lived and where they went and all that to, to get you in a place where you would hear about Jesus. I know that in my life, it was parents and a grandmother who had planted seeds. It was a faithful kids club leader who took me aside and explained the gospel to me when I didn't understand it. And it was also the pastor of that church who went about 30 minutes out of his way to pick me up, literally in another state, and bring me to kids club for the first few times where I came to know Christ. It was God using those people and those events to come after me and to personally track me down. What was it for you? Second idea is this. Think about how God tracked this man down in Acts chapter 8. How did he do it? Well, he used Philip, a very willing and obedient servant. How does God pursue people? You know how? He uses other people. He uses other people. When you got baptized, or if you were interested in being baptized, in which case, please come and talk to me or Wes or Courtney, what you are saying is, what you're saying is, I'm trusting in Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. You might even be saying, hey, I found Jesus. People talk about how they found Jesus, and they did, but you know what you're also saying? Jesus found me. Jesus Jesus made me, he loved me, he died for me, he rose again for me, he hunted me down, he called my name, and he changed my life. Jesus found me. And after Jesus finds you, he then invites you to go out with him and find others who need to hear about him, need to understand about him. One of our youth group's favorite games, maybe not this youth group, but but when I was a youth pastor, I think our favorite game was one we just called The Blob. And and the blob is a simple tag game. You might have played it, you might have called it something else. But in the blob, what happens is one person starts out being it, and you're in an enclosed place, like maybe like this gym. And when the first person who's it catches someone and tags someone, that person is it as well, but they have to join hands. And then they continue to run around and tagging more people as they can, and the blob gets bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you've got a lot of people chasing just a few people. And it's a lot easier to track down the last few people, even if they're really fast, when you've got like 25 people joining hands and cornering them, right? You know what? Just like it's a lot more fun and usually a lot more successful to lead people to Christ when we do it together. Because we each have a part to play. We each have a seed to sow. 
And if you get a chance for God to use you, you might not be able to get through a whole big gospel presentation and say, hey, you want to come to know Jesus and pray with me now? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But even this week, you might get a chance to plant a seed. You might get a chance to share a word about Jesus. You might get a chance to pick somebody up and bring him to an event, to invite a friend to youth group or to church or to kids club or whatever it might be. Each one of us has a part to play as Jesus finds more and more of these people whom he's pursuing. And then one last idea, especially for those of you who were baptized today. God never stops pursuing you. God never stops pursuing you. Even after you come to Christ, God still hunts you down. He still comes after you. He still keeps inviting you over and over and over again to go deeper with him and deeper into Christ. And when you fall down, and you will, when you fall down, when you kind of get off the path, when something happens and you get discouraged and you feel like giving up, he's still pursuing you. He is still pursuing you. And when you turn back to him, you will find you don't need to go find him somewhere or go run a, a long direction to go, to go find him again. No, you find that he was right there all the time waiting for you to turn, waiting for you to respond to what the Bible calls his steadfast love. His steadfast love. Psalm 23, um, probably the most famous chapter in the Old Testament, ends with a verse that starts like this. And we'll close with this. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow in that verse is the same word that is used of Saul when he's hunting down David to try to catch him. That's what follow means. It means pursue. And the goodness and mercy in that verse is the goodness and mercy of God. So God's mercy and goodness will hunt you down all the days of your life. For those who have come to Christ, his mercy and love are going to keep pursuing you no matter what happens, no matter where you go, no matter how hard you fall, all the days of your life. And ultimately, to finish the verse, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray as uh, Jesse and John come forward and we prepare for the Lord's Supper.